Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Before we begin, we'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. All right, welcome to Revolution, everybody. I'm about uh, five Diet Cokes in. So, if I start to jitter or speak in tongues, you'll know why. Um, Today, we are going to be talking about, we're going to be in Luke. It's always funny, sometimes you see the the, kind of interesting look that people give when they just walk in. (laughs) <laughs> what's happening in here is he reading from the bible <laughs> some sort of art installation uh, that kind of goes with today's thing it's funny because you know you see a group of people in bible you run um, and that's kind of part of today's talk um, part of Today's talk was inspired by Rob Bell's book, um, a little bit, not a ton, but a little bit, and uh, which is, his book is really good on the Bible, so I recommend it highly if you're listening or you have not given it a read, uh, check it out. Um, Don't don't let all the hype. Don't be like, oh, it's too popular. I can't read it. Cause that's how I felt, and I read it, and I was like, I was wrong. It's so good. That's why it's popular. And it takes complicated ideas, uh, theological ideas, and simplifies them. And that's what we need a lot more of. And it's just sad to me that a lot of people won't read that book because of Love Wins, probably. And Love Wins was really good, but people, because he said they didn't believe in hell, people got mad. But I think I'm going to send it to my dad, the Bible book. And I think we should all send a copy to our parents. So there you go. That's your assignment. Um, so... Jesus and the religious is what we're talking about today, and I'm in Luke 10. I'm reading out of the New Living uh, the past couple weeks because my eyeballs have just made my NRSV just a little bit. I need to get a bigger version of the NRSV because my eyes are going. Because I'm 41 now, and uh, probably going to have to get bifocals. Or just, I mean, actually, it's like the print is ridiculously small. You know, I mean, that's like tiny. That's not, I mean, it's not that I need bifocals. It's just, I just can't read super tiny right on rice writing anymore. You know, you get your name put on rice or read that Bible. Um, Luke 10, 25. One day, experts in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him, question, teacher, what is the most, 
Teacher, what must I do to receive eternal life? Interesting enough that eternal life usually meant good life. It didn't mean eternal, like forever and ever and ever and ever. But we won't get too far into that. But that's one thing that people often overlook because they want to think. They wanted to be like, what do I have to have to have a good life, a long life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord God with all your heart and soul and strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. See, you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, this was a lawyer who was a a religious expert and would have known the book, the Bible, back and forth. Um, Jesus, how Jesus was discussing the Bible with him was a very normal way to discuss the Bible, uh, asking questions with questions. Um, I always thought Jesus would kind of annoy me because he asked questions with questions, but I guess if I was around at the time, I would have understood this process more rather than being like, just give me an answer. I just want an answer. Jesus is the answer. Oh, am I? (laughs) This needs to be the bumper sticker. (laughs) That's going to be on Jesus' bumper sticker. Oh, am I? Um, But the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with this illustration. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes and money, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a Jewish priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt deep pity. Kneeling beside him, the Samaritan man soothed his wounds with medicine and bandaged him. Then he put the man on his donkey and took him to the inn, where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two pieces of silver and told him, Take care of the man. If his bill runs higher than that, He said, I will pay the difference the next time I'm here. Now, which of these, then Jesus asked, now, which of these three would you say, would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus replied, the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Now, this is a great story of someone helping someone out, the least of these helping out someone um, Samaritans, as most, if you spend any time in the, with the Bible, but you might not know this, and that's okay too, were a despised group of people, uh, especially uh, by, by the Jewish folks. Uh, they were kind of seen as half-breds and uh, sinners and not worthy of anything. And there was lots of history of them being enemies there was just a lot of history of enemies and, and, and despising one another. And uh, usually one way of looking at this book is, you know, we should help people, the least of these, look at the religious people. But what 
Jesus is doing here is what Jesus did a lot with religious leaders, is he is rebuking the religious leader. And he is trying to put the religious leader in his place. He's saying, the person you despise the most is your neighbor. That's what he's saying. You know, when Jesus says stuff like, love your enemy, do good to those who hurt you, that's, that's how he's explaining to this. And it's interesting to me, and I had never thought of it this way until I read uh, Bell's book, um, that when the man replies, when the, the, te- when the Pharisee or the l- lawyer replies, religious law- lawyer replies, he goes, uh, the one who showed him mercy. Like he doesn't even say the Samaritan. He can't even get himself to say it because it's such despised person in his world and there's so much separation I mean there was you couldn't go into their house you know you they would walk around Samaria if they had to they never would go through it even though it was the quickest path they would walk around it because they despise these folks so much and Jesus is saying this is your neighbor you know and he's this is who you need to go and love and this is you know amazing an amazing amount, a moment. Because a lot of times, Paul, the apostle, gets all the credit for being the one who reached out to Gentiles. But Jesus did a lot with Samaritans. He had to go through Samaria. He talked to the Samaritan woman. You know, Jesus was saying, this is a new reality. There's not going to be any more tribes. There's not going to be any more dualistic thinking. There's not going to be any more us and them. You know, the time's coming where it's, we're all going to be one. Um, Jesus says when he meets the Samaritan woman, time is coming where it will not matter where you worship. So things are being revolutionarily changed by Jesus. Jesus is just putting the, taking the, the law, taking customs, taking the tradition, and throwing them all on their head. So Jesus was confronting him with this answer. So let's look at some more confrontations. Uh, with religious leaders, because why not? It's always fun. Um, but with a point. Luke eleven thirty three. Uh, eleven thirty three. I think I miswrote that down. I'm just double checking. Talk amongst yourselves. This is really great for the online listeners because it's even twice as awkward <laughs> as they're on their treadmill or sitting in their car going, what is he doing? He lost his place. He wrote down the wrong, the wrong number. But luckily, underlined. So, 37, uh, 1137. As Jesus was speaking to one of the Pharisees, invited him to his home for a meal. So he went... So he went and took, then the Lord said to him, you Pharisees are so careful. To, oh, yeah. Table, he host was amazed to see that he was down. Oh, yeah. All right. Good. Sorry. We're going to start over again. 37. As Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees invited him home for a meal. So he went and took his place at the table. His host was amazed to see that he sat down to eat without first performing the ceremonial washing required of Jewish custom. So Jesus didn't do the required custom of washing his hands. So Jesus didn't wash his hands. Oh, kind of gross. Um, 
Then the Lord said to him, You Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are still filthy and full of greed and wickedness. Fools! Didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? So give to the needy what you, so give to the needy what you greedily possess, and you will be clean all over. But how terrible it will be for you Pharisees, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest part of your income, but you completely forget about justice and love and the love of God. You should tithe, yes. Did you hear that part? Um, <laughs> you should tithe, yes. I didn't say that. It's Jesus. But you should not leave undone the more important things. How terrible will it be for you Pharisees for how you love the seats of honor, the synagogues, and the respectful greetings from everyone as you walk through the market. Yes, how terrible will it be for you for you are like hidden graves in a field. People walk over you without knowing the corruption they are stepping on. Teacher, said an expert of the religious law, you have insulted us too with what you just said. Yes, said Jesus, how terrible will it be for you experts of religious law For you crush people beneath impossible religious demands and you never lift a finger to help ease the burden. And it goes on and on and on and uh, I'm not going to go further, but it's interesting to be a part of a religion that warns us not to be religious. Don't be too religious. You're part of a faith that says don't be too religious. Don't let your religion separate you from other people. Um, we could talk a lot about love and loving your enemy, loving other people. And I mean, that just seems to be just the theme that I've hit on lately, and I can't get away from it. I've tried to, but the the, the, the point is 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 that you, I don't think you can talk about grace or love or compassion or hope enough. And love seems to be where I'm stuck and where this church is stuck right now uh, in love. But the warning here is you can't, you know, you, you can't let religion take over your life. You can't let legalism seep in. And that's one of the greatest temptations for a lot of people is to be dualistic, to be us and them, to be good, to be thought of in high stature to be thought of as uh, well, well of. Um, but unfortunately what happens is it leads to crushing people. And I've met these folks. I've met the folks where he's, you know, he says, be careful for crushing people beneath the impossible religious demands. You never lift a finger to ease the burden. I know people who attended churches like this, experienced a religion like this, and experienced the faith of this, and they're done. They're done with the church. And you know what? I can't blame them. I can't blame them at all. That's the thing. Is like, How do we blame people who leave the church in masses or leave hurt and bruised and broken because they've been crushed with impossible standards that no one helps? You know... I, it's it's one of those things where it's like I can't blame people like that. And the church has made a huge mistake and the church has failed so many people. And it continues to fail people. Now, should we not help try to restore these people who are legalistic and give them new information? Of course we should. I mean, Jesus was speaking truth to them, saying, you know, don't be this way. Don't be so focused on your outside works. Don't be so focused on you know this. Remember, 
the person who showed love, shows love the most is often your enemy. Um, in Galatians, my favorite book of the Bible, uh, Galatians 6, 1 through 3 says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another Christian, which they weren't using, their, I think that might be, let's see, there's an asterisk right there, uh, brother. If a, brothers and sisters, if another Christian is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's troubles and problems, and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone in need, you are only fooling yourself. You really are a nobody. It's refreshing to read the New Living again because I like how it reads. But we're called to help one another in humility, to be humble. So when people fail, we aren't crushing them. We aren't tearing them apart. We aren't rebuking them. We aren't playing the righteous card. You know, what we're supposed to do is humble ourselves in order to love and help other people and uh, restore other people when they fall. And I could only imagine, you know, and I have the experience of this growing up. Um, My parents in the 80s had a giant television ministry and had a huge scandal, uh, everything, sex scandal, money, you know, whatever you can imagine that was part of the scandal, all sorts of accusations. Um, and they had the biggest television, Christian television network in the world and third most visited, like, retreat center or whatever. It was like Disneyland, Disney World, and then Heritage USA. It was really bizarre. Uh, that's how I grew up. I had bodyguards and things like that, and it was nuts. Um and when I saw my family fall, it was, I did not see any of this. It is as though like this was just written somehow. Like the Gal- Galatians just came out. <laughs> like I was like, oh, it came out post-87. <laughs> it was added to the canon later. We didn't talk about that type of restoration there. Grew up in one of the biggest, you know, Christian denominations, the Assemblies of God. And I did not see any attempt for um, restoration. You know, I saw some people come around, but there weren't a whole lot of people humbling themselves and trying to help in humility. There was a lot of people saying, you should have known better, you shouldn't have done this, you should have, should have, should have, should have, you know. And a lot of people making fun of them. A lot of, I remember remember sitting in churches and hearing pastors using my family as examples, which was so sucky when you're like 12, 13, 14-year-old kid and you just think you want to go to church or you want to go to youth group, and your parents are the example of what people shouldn't be like. So there wasn't a lot of humble humility in, in, in the church that I saw growing up. And a lot of us, if we maybe run in more progressive thinking groups, we get used to humility or some sort of humility. But think about the people who are enemies in, when we're progressive. Think about, you know... I mean, Mark Driscoll's not really around as much anymore, but the Mark Driscoll's and the John Pipers and the more conservative people. I mean, you could even say my father. He's very conservative now. Um, You know, how we look at them. Do we look at them with humility? 
Or do we look with them with a sense of we are better than them? They're freaks. They're crazy, and I despise them. So a lot of a sudden they become the Samaritan in the story. And then what does Jesus say? Love them. Do good to them. Take care of them. Humbly help them. That's why it says here, and that's why Galatians is the best, is because Galatians is dealing with legalism. Galatians is dealing with people who maybe have gone back to the old ways of the law. So this is actually not me just saying, I'm going to put this together this way. This is actually what it's saying in Galatians. Galatians is the book I've studied the most in the Bible. So when it says, be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself, it's saying don't fall back into that same temptation of the falling into the law, falling into legalism. You know, that's easy to do when you get around folks like this. It's, it's tempting to be uh, dualistic. It's tempting to be, uh, I've done something for myself. It, you know, pride and arrogance is tempting, and I see it everywhere I go. I see it on the left, I see it on the right, to the point where I almost want to give up on the church completely and just stop doing it. You know, I'm kind of tired. Um, One of the reasons I really can't stand social media like Twitter and things is because I get, you know, this sense of this, the new thing of the social justice warrior who's so liberated that they've, made an enemy out of the conservatives and now we've become what we hated. And it breaks my heart. I don't want to see that happen. You know, I want to see a faith where I'm able to walk in humility. Now, I don't always walk in humility. There's lots of people I judge and point fingers at. And you know what? It's damn hard. It is dying to yourself. When the Bible talks about picking up your cross or dying to your flesh, you know, doing works, this love is definitely that. Loving those who don't love you back is definitely that. Loving those who don't love the people you love is tough. You know, we just recently had this thing where the author of uh, the message came out and said, I affirm uh, LGBTQ people. And then the next day he came out and said, no, I don't. And because the pressure of the Christian bookstores and stuff said, we're not going to sell your stuff anymore. We're not going to do this. Everybody called in and said, we're going to cut you off. And uh, it was really sad that that's how the church, like a still a big portion of the church, operates. Where we, you know, I remember hearing this say that the Christian the church is the only army that kills its wounded. You know? It's like, we're not no person left behind. We're like, oh, Boom. You've messed up. Boom. Oh, you've done this. Boom. And often it's sad. It's, it's sad especially to see when it's the teachers who taught lots of legalism, a lot of harshness, and then they mess up. And, of course, they get right back that legalism and that harshness from their people. One of the, one of the, one of the reporters said that doing, uh, doing investigation on PTL and, and, and my dad, one of the easiest things for them was that people came to them. They said, you know, it was so easy because the, the other church people came to us. We didn't even have to seek them out. They were, like, willing to come to us. So this idea that there are no more Pharisees or religious laws or teachers like this isn't true. I mean, it's just there is a, a horrible uh, 
poison in the church that is binary thinking, that is us versus them, that is self-righteousness, and we've missed it. And there's books in the Bible that kind of sometimes seem to support that. You know, I can't say that there's not places. I couldn't look up scriptures right now to tell you, like, well, let me show you here in First Peter, you know, or let me look in James, and I'll tell you here, you know. This is where it says be good and this and that. But when I follow Jesus, I have to see those verses through Jesus' eyes. I have to see that through Christ. I can't see it through. I can't just read the Old Testament and the New Testament without going through the eyes of Christ. To see, okay, how does this work? It used to be that I took this whole thing like this literal book and that it couldn't have contradictions. And that's how I was raised, that it was like, this is God's word and it came down from heaven above and you don't question it and you don't do that. And it's a, you know, it's a collection of writings and letters and poems and it's a flawed book. There are books that are claimed to be written by Paul that aren't written by Paul. You know, it's, it's a scary thing. You know, people go like, oh, well, how can I trust any of it? Well, education helps. You know, getting education, studying more, reading a lot, um, understanding context is always nice. Uh, that's why I recommend the Rob Bell book because there's, he's, he takes these hard ideas that are these hard theological ideas about the Bible and simplifies them. I mean, do I wish I wrote that book? Yes. <laughs> do I wish I had half of this book sells? Yes. Do I feel a little bit of jealousy? Yes. <laughs> I do. All of the above. But also, I'm grateful for something like that, and I hope I hope people will, will read it. It's funny because I've got a few friends... Um, friend of mine bought me a copy and I also have another friend who has a few copies on his table and I see a lot of people who buy more than one copy of the book so they can give it out and I think that's a good thing so I'm not a big book pusher but I think people understanding the Bible to me has always been a very important thing so back to the thing we should humbly and gently restore one another Help each other in the right path. If you think you're too important to help someone in need, you're only fooling yourself. You're really a nobody. So when we get to that point where we don't want to restore out of humility, we become a nobody. We become the whitewashed tomb. Um, You know, beautiful on the outside and full of death on the inside. I'm going to jump back to Galatians 5. And... uh, 5.13 says, uh, For I have been called to live in freedom, not freedom to satisfy your sinful nature, but freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one commandment, which we just heard before, love your neighbor as yourself. But this is where it gets interesting. But instead of showing love amongst yourselves, you're always biting and devouring one another. Beware of destroying one another. Watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Um, in, in the New Revised Standard, 
It says, Beware you are not consumed by one another. The warnings are there of what we should do, how we should be careful that we aren't biting, devouring one another. We aren't nitpicking each other. We aren't comparing ourselves to one another. You know, we aren't doing this. You know, that our enemy is our neighbors. The ones we despised for generations is the ones who is our neighbor. We have no excuse. I mean, that's the good news, but that's where the works come in. Works isn't like, I don't go to Rated R movies and I don't listen to Nine Inch Nails. You know, whatever. (laughs) That grieves my soul, you know. Um, It's, we love people. And loving people is a tough business. And it's hard not to be angry. It's hard not to be judgmental. It's hard not to be jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Those are all things that are a struggle. And, uh, that's that's why I feel like the I still hold on to the Bible. That's why I still follow Christianity is because it's this faith that says don't be religious, don't be judgmental, don't do this. And it, it, for some reason, it bother, it bothers me so much that because it's seen by the majority of people that that's what it is about about being judgmental and self righteous and ju- you know that's most people they think what it's about. Oh, you know, I like Jesus, but man, his fan club sucks, you know. Um, so what do we do with this? Well, hopefully we live it. Hopefully we're able to talk about it. Hopefully we're able to show it in a way that is humble and gentle. And, that, and I hope we're able to do that both with our right friends and our left friends. I hope we're able to walk some middle path where we're able to show that humility and that love to both and restore both. We're able to show the people who go, they're a bunch of blah, blah, blahs, and they're a bunch of blah, blah, blahs. And maybe we speak up and go like, maybe they're just victims of misinformation. That was the hardest thing for me studying Martin Luther King is that he would say, these people aren't my enemies. They're, they're, they're victims of misinformation. But watch the, if you ever watch old videos of the victims of misinformation, they seem like bastards. Uh, when you see a man hanging from a tree with a bunch of what seems like white rednecks standing around, it's hard to think that those are people who are victims of misinformation and they're not the enemy. the time that Jesus was living in, the people he was talking to who were unoccup- being, lived in their home what was being occupied by a big nation who was, you know, had more weapons. And this is who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to people who are being pushed underneath, the, you know, the people who are on the out. He's not talking to Americans. Americans, we are often the ones who are, who are the oppressor. And he is talking to the oppressed, saying the oppressed to the oppressed to love, love, love. You've been oppressed, love. Forgive. Do good to these people. You know? And a lot of us here are look more like the oppressor than the oppressed. But the fact is that we're all called in to the Father's house. Like in... Um, and when I say the Father's house, I don't mean to be a gendered thing there. Is what I mean is 
the prodigal son, when the prodigal son, the dad goes, come in to the good brother and the bad brother. Come in, come in. Let's come into the home. Come into the same presence. Let's all be together. We're all called to that. Matter of fact, I think we're all called to be the, the Samaritans. I mean, the good, it's not the good Samaritan. It's the prodigal son. The prodigal's father. I think we're all called to be the prodigal dad. The prodigal parent. How about that? That says, come in, come in, come in. You were once lost, but now you're found. That is some hard shit. The trail of hurt people that we have left behind, we've left is sad. We should know better. And the church has felt many. Religion has crushed and devoured too many people. How do we love and who do we love? That is uh, what I have for you today. Um, before we end the service, I just uh, also want to remind everybody we're a nonprofit, and for those listening online and for those here in, in, in person, we survive off of uh, donations. So if this is your church or you consider it something that's important to you, we ask that you help support what we do. You know, but if you don't have it, don't worry about it either because we'd much rather have you than your money. Um, it's my least favorite part of my job doing that, but it's also a necessity. <laughs> and if I have any more kids, I'm just going to have to go do something else. Um, <laughs> so thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>